PD Raw is a podcast sharing the experiences and insights of people with personality disorders or traits by being brave and talking about the things that are shameful and painful. Humans demystify and destigmatize the things that we hide. The aim of this podcast is to let others know that they are not alone. By showing the reality behind our walls, we hope to bring people closer together, connecting in a more open and authentic way. Please be aware that, due to its topic, this podcast is adults only, not safe for work, and may contain triggering content. Just before we start, I'd like to say that we did have some problems with the internet and with the audio for this episode. Hello, Ruthless, and welcome to the pod. It's lovely to be back. (laughs) And things are going so well. Yeah, it's going better. I'm doing really good, actually. Are you? Way better than last time. Yeah, there's a few good things that happened. Tell me. I think I talked quite extensively last time about dating mm-hmm. and how my thoughts have kind of changed. But yep. it turns out that I opened up a lot more since then. Are, are you, in general, being able to be more open, do you think? I think so. I've done a lot of good work uh, with my therapist and just with myself as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that I'm in a position now where I'm actually going to be good towards someone. But I hope that I'm able to be honest. Yeah. I don't think everybody has to know what kind of struggles I'm facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I know the acceptance of this is not particularly good. But yeah. I really want to be a good person to mm-hmm. somebody that I may date in the future. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a bad person. And I don't want to manipulate. Yeah. Uh, and just the other thing, though, is when you said is you'll try to be um like a good person um it's there's the assumption there that you're not like I can hear that you're assuming that you're not and you have to try and be something um and I think people show their good sides but um yeah I just wanted to say there is good I'm sure (laughs) that's amazing to hear and I I think you're right because I think me and most people probably with NPD at the end of the day are way too harsh mm-hmm. towards each other. And I didn't want to listen to my own voice, so I never actually listened to that episode <laughs> of me. Uh, but I know it's probably good, but I didn't listen to it. But I think I was being way too harsh on myself and mm. way too harsh on other people as well during the episode. I think even though it's only been a few weeks, I think my uh, views have maybe changed slightly. What have but you been? I think. Yeah. yeah. No, keep going. I think I blame. I think my I blamed myself uh, with a lot of the things uh, that I talked about in the last episode, and mm-hmm. of course I need to take some responsibility. But I think I was being really harsh, and I know at the end of the day that I'm I have the ability to be a great person. I felt good. Uh, it was basically a really good friend of mine started dating this uh, girl and she's really lovely and he's one of my best friends. 
Mm-hmm. So she invited me uh, with him to join like a graduation party or something like that. I don't really know what the occasion was. So it was me, my friend, uh, his girlfriend, and like 10 other girls in the party. So we were really popular there. Mm-hmm. And and I really talked to like all of them. And I felt that it was a really safe environment and oh. a really nice environment, which is a change because I think I talked last time, I believe, about like how somebody with NPD might have the urge to always attract everyone and to mm-hmm. kind of play this role. And I felt that I didn't have that. Uh, I didn't deliberately try to manipulate people into loving me or mm-hmm. liking me. What was Whereas different about, been, yeah, what was different about that party that made you want to like or feel safe? Like, I think I've started to feel more comfortable and less insecure about yeah. things. And mm-hmm. I think that insecurity is one of the biggest things that kind of adds fuel to the fire that is NPD. Yeah. And is- I've been a very insecure person, and I think in many things for no reason. That's mm. just been this perpetual uh, insecurity that comes from trauma. Yeah. And I think and- it's finally starting to break a little bit. Wow. Is it, are you doing different things with the therapist or is it just in general? I think it's mostly me and not the therapist, but he mm-hmm. mentioned something interesting. I had my last therapy session, uh, for the year before the autumn, uh, I think on Tuesday. And he mentioned that he, he notices in me this kind of pattern that even though I'm a lot more open, I kind of, uh, let in some of my emotions, but then I immediately kind of take it back. Uh, take it's it, hard like, to explain. Is it? So I kind of show show some of my vulnerable side, but then mm-hmm. immediately I kind of retreat. Did he say emotionally retreat, or like you kind of say something like "oh," and then kind of um, discount what you just said? Like basically that, yeah. yeah I like play, negate yeah. everything that I I just said. And mm-hmm. he thinks that it's like a mechanism to kind of hide the vulnerable parts of me. And I think he's right. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a problem that I'm facing. The fact that it could happen with a person that I could be honest and yeah. not manipulative, I think that's going to be a big change. And that's really pushing me to be the person that I want to be. Yeah, which is to be myself. Feeling uh, safe. all of the baggage, yeah. You're quite young, so uh, this is really good. And, and I think maybe you're somebody who's got, um, who's ready to change, you know, who's got that potential to do it quite early. And you're already, so. yeah, well down the road from the start. I kind of felt that there's no other option for me. That oh. If I grow up more, uh, I feel like it's going to be more difficult. And this isn't to discourage people from changing, even if you're older. But um, I'm, I think I'm in a lucky position, though. What did you see ahead that was negative that made you feel that you had to change? Um, I felt that there was just no hope for me to continue living like an inauthentic life. And Mm -hmm. I felt that, well, this gets really dark really fast, but I felt multiple times 
uh, during the past couple of years that I like almost set a deadline for myself, like yeah. say New Year's or just like the end of September, the end of October or whatever, that if something doesn't change before this point, I'm done. Like I'm done with life. And it yeah. was really grim. And I'm very happy that I never followed up with those threats that I set for myself. But I knew that if a person basically threatens themselves with suicide, there is a problem. Uh, and I wanted to kind of face that problem. And I knew that I have to change so fundamentally as a person to love myself and to even want to continue living. So I think that's maybe deep down, kind of like the deepest thing that kind of forces me to change. I, wow. I just couldn't live with myself anymore. Wow. Okay. Well, can I ask you about your experience of being a golden child? Of course, yeah. Because I personally, I think it sounds wonderful uh, because I never was. Um, so I was always jealous. But uh, you're telling me it wasn't nice at all. So um, shatter my illusions. Yeah, I think my experience is probably not the typical golden child experience mm. because uh, I'm the first child um, and I've always felt that I was the more popular one because uh, I do have a sibling and they are less social than me and a lot more kind of introverted so I felt oh. that, that they never really got the spotlight and I did uh, also from our parents and my mom was I was basically her little angel when I was growing up that I could do no wrong. And even when I did do things that were wrong, uh, she kind of pretended that I wasn't a bad person if I acted in a bad way. And I think that in itself is already a problem because when, well, this is just my opinion, but when a parent uh, kind of builds this bubble uh, that shields everything, Mm -hmm. that the child does. I don't think the child can learn proper social uh, understanding. And I think that happened to me. I was, I was extroverted, but I think that my social skills were really strange. That so I was just you... being kind of a bully, kind of abusive towards people, and kind of just a little shit when I was little. How long and... for, like, what age did this go on until... Unfortunately, at this point, the uh, internet did start cutting out a bit uh, and Ruthless said that at daycare he was bullying other kids but when he got to primary school he learnt to stop doing that. Then when he was 12, unfortunately, his mother lost her job and suffered a mental breakdown. When this happened, her behaviour towards him changed. She became abusive. And he says that he had lived in a bubble before that where he had believed that his life was perfect and when it was taken away and uh, she really changed towards him and became abusive, it was a terrible thing to deal with. So, okay, so previously do you feel that your mum had you on a, like a pedestal? Was it idealisation then and she was able I to think make so. Yeah, she really maintained that, but not towards I, your young, younger sibling. Uh, she was never terrible towards uh, 
towards them. But I think that she didn't idolize them at the same rate that she did me. Okay. Uh, And and my mom comes from an abusive family as well. So, and she's talked about this extensively, how she wanted to be different than her father and how she never wanted to hurt her children. And she did a fine job, I think, originally. But after the mental breakdown, but uh, really, at the end of the day, just to deal with her losing uh, her job and her career. And it really took a toll her. So mm-hmm. after that, she started really just being a bully towards me for some reason. I think my sibling was fine and they didn't have a difficult relationship, uh, at least not to the extent that I did. So okay. I kind of took the bullet for them as well. Wow. So initially you were idealized and then you were really, really devalued. Yeah, exactly. All, yeah. So did your younger sibling feel that in the earlier years they were devalued or they just said, oh, it was just a more moderate relationship from the get-go and it never really changed? Like how did they experience that? Um, it's definitely changed now. And they get along really well. And I get along with both of my parents fantastically these days, even though there's a lot of trauma with my mom. Uh, yeah. We're really doing really good these days. Uh, and she's recovered completely from what she was going through. And me, well, I don't know about that, but I'm doing better. And I think a major problem that I had during my teenage years was when you're a teenager, or when you're a kid and you experience trauma, you don't have the prior experience. So you might not even recognize it as trauma. Yeah. And I think that's what happened to me. But I just thought that this is normal and this is what everybody goes through. That everybody uh, gets bullied at home by their mom. And of course, I later learned that that's not the case. And I was in a really shitty household. Yeah. But at the time, it just felt normal. I think um, it probably takes a lifetime to unpack. And even then, you know, it's still we accept what we experience because that is normal. That's the world. You know, we, yeah. we don't we don't know what we don't know and we haven't seen and we haven't experienced. Exactly. Yeah. But um, it was such a difficult thing going through all of that, I think, especially because earlier on in my life, I was led to believe that my life is perfect and uh, mom is going to betray protect me from everything uh-huh. and then and then she ends up being the worst abuser oh yeah that's a terrible betrayal yeah so so she was protective you say and so from what i heard before she was protective of you being criticized i think that was one thing that when i did do things wrong in daycare in primary school she didn't believe the teachers. She didn't believe that uh, people working in those institutions and I could basically do no harm. How did you experience those two different messages coming from two different sides? Like, what was that like? I don't really remember a lot of it so well, but I do remember that I had a teacher who was very difficult in primary school. Well, nobody liked her. She was a bitch. But... At the time, my mom and my dad were really supportive. So I'd say that going to school was hell and going to home was heaven. Oh. Uh, whereas later on, after the mental breakdown, my mother had 
uh, it was the opposite. Like going to school was like a mental health break. And then when mm. I went to home, it was like a civil war going on there. So yeah. basically I couldn't practice my instrument. I couldn't really play video games loudly. I couldn't be with friends loudly. And I had to work on eggshells. And I think it really destroyed my social life. Because then when I did get to high school and I still lived at home, I didn't even feel like socializing with people anymore. And even though there were people that definitely me, uh, I just couldn't really open up myself up to them. Mm-hmm. And it's a really big regret, I think. So your mum's breakdown then kind of triggered you to withdraw? You I know, think so. Yeah, through your teenage years. Because I think living with her kind of drained most of my social battery um, or almost all of it i still yeah. kept some of my best friends around but when i got to high school i never felt like i had the stamina to meet new people to have new friendships even when people liked me i i just didn't feel like i had the strength to get into a situation where somebody likes me okay Mm. And yeah, you're an extrovert, so that was quite a change from the sound of it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. At the time, of course, I didn't know all of these things so well. So it was probably easier than what it would be these days. Like if I got thrown into a situation like this now, when I'm aware of all of like mental health stuff and extroversion and different types of characters, because I knew nothing about psychology when I was 12. I think now it would be a living hell and I wouldn't survive anymore. But I think back then, somehow I survived. Okay. And you did it by withdrawing or how did you get yourself through? I have no idea. I don't know if the social withdrawing from everybody except my family was a good thing or if it was a bad thing. It might have even made things worse. Um, but somehow I just got through it. And I remember I never felt like I was depressed. I was never suicidal when I was a teenager. I just didn't feel those things. But I do remember that I was a miserable person that didn't really ever smile or ever have fun in Mm. regards to anything. Uh, so people probably thought that I was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really been a crazy thing. Uh, I don't live in my hometown anymore, but occasionally I meet by complete accident. Uh, if I'm clubbing or if I'm just on the metro or something, I meet people that were in the same high school as me. And the look on their face when they see what I've become, it's priceless because they don't feel like I'm even the same person anymore. Because I used to be the sort of strangest, quietest, kid uh, mm. in secondary and especially in high school but what I'm right now is completely different so I definitely had a glow up as well so now you're much more social and much more happy um I don't know about happiness but I'm definitely more social so that's uh, obviously I didn't know that I had NPD or any of this at the time uh so I do think I'm a problematic person but at the same time, I don't know if I have true happiness. I, I'm a lot better now than last time we talked because mm-hmm. a lot of good things happened. But I think there's still a lot of work to do before I'm 
an actually a happy person. Okay. So what's the change that they see in you now that surprises them? Is it just the extroversion? Basically just that because I'm not really friends with my high school uh, friends or people that I knew back then, but I've just bumped into them uh, by accident over the years. I haven't lived in my hometown for nearly six years, I think. Uh, and they're just surprised that I'm doing so well. They're surprised that, that I'm a social person because they just remember me as somebody that always said no when people wanted to be around me. I think in both bad and good, I've refined my personality uh, mm-hmm. from what it was back then. Because, of course, the bad side is all of the issues that I'm facing. But the good side is that I have the kind of strength to at least show what I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Instead of just kind of being so miserable that I didn't even feel like being around people. Uh, so it's both the good and both the bad. talk before about um being in situations where you feel felt that you needed to manipulate people how did that go like what kinds of things would you do back in high school or these days oh yeah or yeah maybe more recently you know what yeah. are you aware that you do to manipulate people when you are in situations where you feel not quite so safe i think one of my biggest insecurities and this is such a stupid one considering that I never needed to be insecure about this. And I think only recently I started to be more comfortable with this thing was, uh, I talked about this last time, it was attraction to people that I always felt like I had to manipulate and lie to women that even if they were genuinely interested in me, I have to kind of make myself out to be different or make myself out to be better or sometimes worse than what I was. Uh, depending on what they liked and it was just so inauthentic so it wasn't like you had one single image that you thought oh this is who I have to be instead it was like you'd look at them and go what do I think they want and then become that yeah basically I was flexible if somebody was a dominant person and they wanted someone who was submissive I could play that part and most of the time, I was the dominant one because I think that that's more in line with what I actually am as a person. But I could basically be completely opposite to what I actually felt like inside, uh, just for the attraction, just for the manipulation, and just the getting this person uh, or getting something from this person that I wanted. Which would be? Uh, in many cases, it would be sex, but sometimes it would be other types of company. Yeah. Like I remember uh, I used to, I wouldn't call it dating, but I used to be uh, and hang out and be around a person who was really rich one time. Uh, and she she just had wealth. And although I'm not 100% sure that I was interested in her romantically or even sexually, 
uh, I wanted to be around her because of her kind of place in society. Mm -hmm. So I played that role. I was very different to what I actually was. But I think this is something that's slowly changing, that I'm starting to be more authentic uh, in every way. I'm starting to be more authentic in terms of what I actually like. And it isn't a deal breaker anymore if somebody doesn't like me. Okay. And I don't have to lie about the worst things. I think I talked about that one case when I faked being religious with somebody. Yeah. Uh, but what's a lot more common is that I've just faked my political beliefs. That uh, if if I was with someone who was very left wing, I'd be left wing. If I was with someone who was very right wing, I'd be very right wing. I know someone who would actually study a subject um, beforehand or when they found out the person was interested in it and then um, reappear with all that knowledge to be that sort of person that really was passionate about that particular topic. Did you ever go that far? Um, sometimes I'd say yeah, but I don't think that's inherently a bad thing because if you're, say you're in an actual relationship, uh, I think that that could sometimes be a good thing that if somebody's interested in something, you kind of study it, mm -hmm. uh, even if you don't know anything about it. I, I can see how that would be a good thing. But I think in my case, it probably wasn't a good thing because sometimes I would just study the basics of a subject and I pretend that I was an authority in it. And mm -hmm. one thing that I'm very talented at, I think I would be a very good con artist. And well, that's probably what I've been doing with regards of my daily life is being a kind of scam artist or a con artist is that I'm really good at talking uh, in my native language and sort of uh, convincing people that I know about something that honestly I'm completely clueless and <laughs> yeah. people tell me I'd be a good politician. <laughs> you want to go down that route? Uh, I've thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't think in my country I would survive as a politician. Uh, I think if I was American, I could probably make it. <laughs> uh, I don't know whether that's a good thing, though. Probably not. <laughs> because I know I'd be, I'd be a big liar. <laughs> and in your country, people are probably a bit more uh, direct and honest. Is that and modest, is that correct, when they're politicians? Uh, to an extent, yeah, but I think the big uh, thing that makes politics in my country at least slightly better is that we have a free media that doesn't uh, distort things. Uh, you can actually sort of trust all the media. We don't have a Fox News of my country or yeah. you know, some far-right media or far-left media. So people are... I a bit more uh, direct and genuine. I'd say so. And yeah. a lot more critical towards media as well. Oh. That if something sounds too good to be true, probably is. If something sounds uh, like the world is about to end, it's probably fear-mongering. Oh, that's so I think, in my country, I think in my country, being a politician and just lying, I think historically hasn't been possible. Yeah. Whereas I, I can think of many countries where that definitely works. And I probably should have been born to those countries because I'd be a politician. <laughs> I think you'd be saving yourself from a fate worse than death, though, because I've recently met a politician 
And I thought, hmm, it, it didn't look like a good life to me. Yeah, they can't be happy. No, it's such a role, you know, it's got such um, strong boundaries and it's got such a personality that you have to play. It'd be really hard to have genuine, meaningful and spontaneous interactions, I think. That's true, but at the same time, I can see how somebody who, for example, has a personality disorder can just choose to not improve themselves and just continue down the path of uh, making the disorder worse because they become a politician and it's a sort of pool that enables that sort of behavior. I can think of many politicians that probably suffer from personality disorders and they never improve themselves because they have the power. Hmm. In your own country or just around the world? Uh, Thankfully not here. Yeah, well, I was up close with this person and I was thinking, I was wondering how much they suffered from NPD or narcissistic traits and, yeah, really Mm -hmm. looking at the way they talked and everything and thinking, yeah, thinking about it was really, yeah, quite a curious thing. And, yeah, you're right. I think once you go into that, you make a persona and then you're trapped within it. Yeah. Okay, um, where were we? So we were back to the end of your teenage years. I remember you felt that you um, would fit a diagnosis, so you kind of realised by yourself. Yeah, I think when I was 20 or 21, so not quite when I was in high school, but I kind of wish later on that I realised that something was wrong with me. But I think what really helped was when I moved away from my parents. I started immediately feeling better. It was a relief. Uh, So even though the trauma was already there and I had a lot of issues, uh, at least for a while, I had an easier life. Like I'd say from when I was 18 to when I was 20, I didn't really suffer. Even though, of course, I was a narcissist. Of course, I had all of these issues. But the kind of reality didn't hit me yet during those two years. Wow, that's interesting. As soon as you were out of the house and into your own place, you felt a lot better. Yeah. Maybe I, in a cliche way, I kind of spread my wings and started flying socially. Even though all of all of my personality was a fraud, probably, at that point. Because I think a part of living uh, at home when I was a teenager was that I also had to construct the sort of barrier to protect me from my mom. Yeah. And I think the kind of remnants of that barrier are still around. And many of them are the negative things uh, about me that I can't show vulnerability to people that I date, for example. I think that stems from me being a teenager and not being able to be vulnerable with, with my family. And, of course, that affects how you see women. Definitely. The way yeah, yeah, the way your mum related to you. Yeah, I think... It's probably very common with people with personality disorders to uh, radicalize in a certain way, maybe to go to a hate group or become racist, or in my case, maybe I was a misogynist at a certain point. Uh, I don't think I'm there anymore, but definitely uh, I might have had really warped views on on women Mm. when I was manipulating them and just being a sort of piece of shit in my daily life. Because you'd received it. 
you'd received some, yeah, really negative stuff. And yeah, people just don't talk about this and about the profound ways that mothers affect their children. They can be very, very destructive, unfortunately. So yeah. Much. And the same yeah. thing, the same thing happens probably with fathers and daughters. Yeah, that's true. Um, though I did, yeah, I did talk to, um, Nick after I talked to you and he said that, um, a female can say, I've got daddy issues and they'll be listened to and supported. Whereas if a guy says, I've got mummy issues, there's just no respect and no space to listen to that. Do you find that? I mean, you're in a different country. Would you be able to talk about it? Do you think? Yeah. It's a very interesting discussion. And it's something that I've always had difficulty uh, kind of reading about because I think my country is a lot more, uh, we have a lot more equality between the genders here. And I think it's also to an extent at least improve men as well. So I don't think that I've been discriminated because I'm a man, but I know that that is probably the feelings of very many young men, even in my country, but definitely in uh, English-speaking countries. Oh. Now, I've, read, I've read so much about sexism that comes from both sides in, for example, the US or the UK and how it can be a really big problem. In my country, I wouldn't say it's as bad. Uh, I don't think that, for example, if we start talking about things like nice guys or incels, I don't think it's a big deal here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was talking to some uh, a woman that lives in the UK, and she said that it's a crazy problem in London and in other places in the UK that young boys have this completely batshit uh, idea about attraction and about women. So do you feel that you could say, I've been really hurt by my mom and women can be really, really hurtful, and that males and females in your country would just accept that equally to a female saying that her father had been hurtful and she has problems with men? Honestly, yeah. Because uh, I was in a party on Saturday, or it might have been Friday, but I think it was Saturday, and I was talking to a group of women, uh, and we were talking about these sort of things that they were talking about, like daddy issues or something like that. And I basically just mentioned that I had mommy issues. I don't think it was a big deal. Nobody got offended. Nobody made fun of me. And it was surprisingly honest from me that mm-hmm. I just straight up admitted that with no context. They didn't get defensive or anything like that? No, they didn't feel like I was uh, stealing anything from them or mansplaining. Mm-hmm. And it was a really nice environment. We didn't talk about this a lot, uh, but I didn't feel like I was being discriminated. But the more I read Reddit, the more I see that it's definitely an epidemic in other countries. It reminds me of being in, in a European country and one of the women... It was um, out at a at a party and everybody was mixing and one of the women said to me that with English uh, people, she found it really funny that the men would be on one side and the women would be on the other side and she said it's, it's almost like the men are scared of the women uh, and I remember, yeah, kind of agreeing with her because I've seen it myself, um, that sort of 
uh, distance, I think it is. Can I ask you, do you feel in your country as a male you have to really not cry and not show feelings, the kinds of uh, roles that, or the pressure that you get in an English-speaking country? I don't think so. And I think this is partially why I feel like I started to do a lot better quite quickly in a matter of a couple of years, because I think that it's been a very encouraging environment. Uh, I can cry to my uh, female friends the same as I can cry to my male friends. And okay. I can be vulnerable and I'm not going to be a laughing stock. I'm not going to be weak. And it's possible that people subconsciously hold these uh, thoughts about uh, masculinity. But at least on the outside, I don't think I've experienced it. I think that all of the problems that I've had with my masculinity stems from my home environment from when I was young and not society at large. I think the biggest problem in my country in terms of this is that we are becoming Americanized really quickly. In terms of politics, in terms of all kinds of social things, it's becoming a very uh, American country in a way that we are kind of getting many issues from overseas uh, that never existed here before. Like pronouns is one thing. It's uh, something absolutely crazy how a lot of right-wing people in, say, Canada or in uh, the United States are discriminating against people who want to use different pronouns. Uh, and they are being incredibly, say, transphobic towards people in mm-hmm. this way. We don't have that problem in my country because my language doesn't have pronouns. Hmm. But I do think that some people brought that uh, problem from overseas. And now there are people that are, have started to talk about these things as if we were an English-speaking country. <laughs> it's kind of funny then. So a problem that couldn't exist now exists. Yeah, basically. Uh, <laughs> I don't think my country is perfect in social issues. But I definitely think that things like uh, LGBT rights are relatively well here. Mm. But then there are certain people, maybe politicians or other people with significant power that are bringing a sort of culture of oppression here as well. And there's definitely been a more uh, conservative shift in my country lately. And I think that part of the reason is because of Things like TikTok. I know it's a Chinese app, but uh, it's very popular in, say, America. And yep. a similar kind of uh, division between uh, politics is kind of landing here as well. And I think it's going to be a problem in the future. But I think in my personal experience, to uh, continue the point of whether I've felt uh, insecure to cry, I don't think so. I used to think like that a couple of years ago, but I think that nobody's going to kill me if if I cry. Nobody's going to make fun of me. And I can be a vulnerable person. Does that mean your male friends have cried in front of you or, you know, you've seen it generally that that, um, the males that you're around are able to be open about that? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, I know that I live in a much more... uh, open environment than most people in my country because 
obviously people that live in the countryside are not going to have the same opinions as me in terms of this. And I do think that there's probably a culture of these issues in the countryside, but I live in a big city and I live, uh, kind of the people that I'm around with are very open about things like emotions. And I think it's an environment that really makes healing from NPD easier because I get the sort of support from other people that yes, it's okay for me to be vulnerable. So your friends are like that? Yeah, they're very supportive. And the funny thing is that I think most of my close friends know that I'm a narcissist. I mean, how could they not know? It's been so blatantly obvious when I was a little bit younger, like say just two years ago. Uh, I was so antisocial as well towards them that, of course, they have to know. So it isn't even really a secret. So you're antisocial to your friends? Or just in general? I think just in general, the sort of moral compass that I held. uh, Because I was never particularly abusive to most of my friends. I talked about one former friend of mine that I was abusive to last time. And there's a few more cases like that. Uh, But for the most part, my closest friends that I still have around now, uh, I have never really had issues with. And they've always been accepting? Yeah. Accepting of me being me Mm. with all of the issues. I think that if my friends wanted to leave, uh, they would have done it already. Because, and they've even said to me how much better I'm doing. And I think it is very encouraging, even though I do think that I'm way too harsh towards myself a lot of the time in terms of these issues. And I do think still that I'm a bad person. Well, an incident happened yesterday. Uh, I was in the city center, uh, in like the downtown area of my city. And I bumped into a really good friend of mine. And we started talking about a case that's going on in my, my personal life now, which is a really nice thing, actually. And I think he asked me something about like being a bad person. It didn't even relate to me. And. I think I said something that, yeah, I am a bad person. I'm a really toxic person. And he basically stopped me and he said, don't do that shit. Like, you're not a bad person. And it felt so nice that somebody else actually said that to me. And you could believe him and trust him. I trust his judgment. Yeah. I think people who suffer from NPD or ASPD and probably a whole bunch of other personality disorders as well, like EPD. I think we're way too harsh towards uh, each other and towards ourselves and towards the entire illness because we aren't bad people. We may do bad things, but deep down, we're people just like everybody else. Mm. Do you get the flip-flopping where... Um, with narcissism, you know, you can flip between grandiosity and vulnerability and there's not much in between. Do you do that sort of really quickly within a day, like cycle back and forth, or are you sort of stable in one state for a long time and then flip into the other? How do you experience it? I think that's definitely a problem I still have is that I don't remember if I mentioned this last time, but I was going through a period when I was depressed 
and very vulnerable. Uh, whereas when I'm doing better, I feel a lot more grandiose. Yep. And it's true that there isn't a lot in between. But, uh, but when my kind of uh, illness has gotten better over the last couple of years, I think the grandiosity has decreased because at least I kind of associate the grandiosity with my more antisocial tendencies, which yeah. have really calmed down over the past couple of years with therapy and with introspection. Uh, and I don't think I would qualify for ASPD anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that definitely shows in my grandiosity. Also, another thing is that I figured out that people can tell when I'm being grandiose. People can tell when I'm manipulating people. Uh, maybe not the person I'm manipulating, but everybody else who watches can really? tell that I'm up to something. Oh, so you feel observed and that perhaps it's not, not the best thing to be doing at the time. True. Oh. Um, it's probably not the case with everybody suffering from NPD. Some are definitely more talented at being grandiose. And I know I used to be a lot better because I used to not give a fuck uh, about the consequences. Um, but definitely, I think people can tell when you're kind of at the edge of... Well, I think when it started to happen to me that I started questioning whether something I was doing was right anymore. Uh, I think at that point, people could tell that I was having a conflict. I think mm-hmm. I, I talked about this this time when I was with a girl last year, and I was facing this exact dilemma where I felt that I was being a horrible person, and I felt like I needed to escape the situation, and she could tell that I was facing a conflict. That isn't, that isn't the only time it happened uh, to me that I was kind of struggling between kind of giving in to my NPD and trying to escape from it. And I was kind of caught in between all of that. Are you saying that to manipulate someone, you have to have full faith in what you're doing and that when the doubt creeps in, you feel it's no longer convincing? So you can't, yeah. keep, on, yeah, can't keep on with it. Yeah, when I say full faith, I don't uh, think the full faith as in it's the right thing to do. The full faith, as in, this is the thing I'm going to do, regardless yep. of whether it's wrong or right. Believing in it. Yeah. Like, yeah, like actually going through with a plan that you have or with a thought that you have. But when I started questioning whether it's something that I should be doing, I think that led to a lot of conflict. So even though it was a difficult or more difficult to be that way, it's had some positive results in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that me even having NPD has been an inherently bad thing in all aspects of life. I do think that it ruined many of my relationships. And I do think that I'd be a happier person if I didn't have NPD. But it's given me confidence. Even if the confidence has been fake, it's really helped me in a lot of things. Because I do think that if I didn't have the confidence... I probably wouldn't have even had the dating experiences I did. So I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing in the end. So it's taken you places that you wouldn't have it's gone taken, to otherwise. Yeah, and whether that's a good or a bad thing, I don't know. But I do think that NPD has definitely made my early adulthood interesting, even though there's been a lot of bad shit that happened to me. Yeah, at least you experienced stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah. And it's kind of the message that I started to think about as well is that maybe NPD can never be healed, which seems to be the consensus. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it's a hundred percent a bad thing because it's, it's impossible to not have NPD once you have it, probably. Um, that there's always going to be some remnants of the illness left, even if you almost fully heal. Um, maybe what we should be doing is just learning how to live with it, improving mm -hmm. as much as possible, and hopefully retaining the good sides of NPD. Because it is true that many people with grandiose narcissism have the balls to do things that most people don't. Wow. And I think by having experiences, then you, what I'm hearing is that you get to test things out and you do grow, which then gives you the opportunity to change and develop. Definitely. Yeah. Because I, I think ever since I started therapy, there's definitely been instances and even longer periods of time where I didn't improve, but I don't think I ever went back to what I was before. I don't think I ever became worse. That reminds me of the theories around, or the ones that I've read around, um, the development of the child and grandiosity and vulnerability. And what I've read talks about how these are normal aspects of life and of, uh, say, your toddler years where you're not knitted into a, a hole, you're still swept with emotion so you'll be overcome with whatever you feel at the time and it will be grandiosity it'll be fragility it'll be frustration it'll be rage it'll be despair it'll be delight and mm -hmm. you experience those very intensely as they come on and then they leave and then you're on to the next thing and hopefully your caregiver helps you to feel safe within those so you can start to pull them together into a whole but grandiosity is is a natural uh a natural feeling and it's that enjoyment of uh attention of the feeling of power and enthusiasm and i think perhaps all those different emotions if you have the ideal or, you know, the really supportive childhood, it allows you to pull them all together and having them all together sort of allows them to let off steam a little bit and slightly decrease, but they they build foundations. And I think grandiosity is all about exuberance, confidence, ambition, drive, um, yeah, and that sort of enthusiasm that can pull other people along as well, that adventurousness. So I don't think it's bad in itself. It's just maybe it just doesn't get, if you have a disorder, it, it hasn't been balanced out with the other side or with other yeah. emotions that kind of flesh it out and make it sort of richer and fuller and, and only just a part of something. Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> so much on this and i was just about to say about the balance as well that maybe in npd all of the emotions are still there uh, but the balance isn't healthy grandiosity is going to be too high and many of the negative emotions are going to be too high whereas for example the ability to feel love can be significantly lower 
And a lot of the positive emotions are kind of hidden away because of shame or a kind of urge to protect yourself from harm or something like that. I, I used to feel over long periods of time that it wasn't possible for me to have romantic feelings towards people. I even thought that I was aromantic for a while, but time and again, it shows that I do actually fall for people. It doesn't happen often, but I am capable of positive emotions, but maybe it just doesn't happen as often as with some people, with most people. Okay. So, and you said um, the emotions are all there. So have you always been in touch with most emotions or like the romantic feeling there were a number where you just felt I can't you know I never experienced those feelings uh I think that many of them have always been really hidden in my personality and well I think loving someone for example is showing vulnerability so I think most of the feelings that are hidden in my myself are related to being vulnerable with people and being honest and showing my emotions. Whereas something like anger or many negative emotions, maybe grandiosity as well, are emotions that can be shown a lot easier without being vulnerable. Oh, there's two things there. Firstly, I noticed you said you can't show positive emotions and yet the grandiosity does contain the boldness, the adventurousness, and the exuberance. So you didn't experience grandiosity as a positive feeling inside? I'm not sure of that, actually. Uh, it's definitely something I need to think about more because I do think uh, grandiosity is both a positive and a negative thing. But uh, Maybe when I was talking about grandiosity, I was talking more about the negative sides of it, like being so controlling, being overly dominant, being manipulative. And just overall being kind of an asshole to people. So you didn't, it inside it didn't feel good to you? Yeah, I felt fake. Okay. And I still do from time to time feel yeah. like I'm playing a character. Oh, okay. But, but honestly, I'm not even sure if I am playing a character. Maybe being somewhat grandiose is the real me, but I just don't want it to be. I don't know always when, like what is real and what is a facade and i think that's part of the big problems with npd is that when you start to construct this facade uh, you might actually end up forgetting what was real before yeah. uh, somebody just posted on our npd yesterday uh about how i actually have it up so i'm going to read some of it how a person with npd will create their own realities unconsciously and 100% believing them, even though they are not true, which contributes to them remembering things differently to how they occur. Uh, and I don't think this has to do with uh, becoming delusional. Rather, it has to do with kind of choosing your own reality. Because when I created the facade over years of me being a certain type of person, which is funny because as I started improving, I started calling the person with a different name because I know that that facade is complete bullshit. So when I'm in character, I just refer to myself with a different name at this point. So at least I will know the distinction between what's real and what isn't. But I do think that when I created the facade, there were a lot of things that were 
100% a lie. But I started kind of telling myself that it's real. Was that a stable personality? Like, was it that one personality that you always slipped into? Or was it, like you said earlier, you would change depending on the person? So, or was that the personality, a changeable person? Like this other person, who were they? Uh, it was both. I think that there were some parts of the facade and still are that are consistent. Uh, things that I can't really be lying about to every person that I meet. Like, uh, I mean, there are just some things, some lies that you can't get away with because people remember. But then the smaller things are things that kind of fluctuate. And I'm very flexible with those when I'm in character. And of course, when I meet a new person, I take them out on a date and maybe they're romantically interested in me. Uh, chances are that this person isn't a mutual friend uh, and there are someone completely random that doesn't have a history with me that can't fact check uh, whether I'm telling the truth or not. But of course, if I took a friend out on a date, I would have to be consistent with what I told. So what I used to do a lot was I never really dated too much in my social circles. I always kind of found the women outside of my social circle so they wouldn't know me. They wouldn't know whether I'm lying or not. And then you felt you had more opportunity to be able to bring out the persona. Yeah, and yeah. way more opportunity to manipulate. Okay. I was basically choosing the easy prey. Yeah. Uh, this is so interesting. I won't put this bit in because I'm just wondering if some of that, that coldness there was um these angry feelings towards your mum and then yeah and then it sort of expressed towards women um i think that my mom is a bit of a misogynist she's definitely one of those kind of um women of well i guess the best way to say is that she's a woman that's a product of something like the patriarchy or whatever. And mm -hmm. she is definitely sexist in her own way. And I was having a discussion with my mom a couple of weeks ago when I listened to her about the situation that's going on with Einstein yeah. uh, and how the singer, the singer is having all of this drama about him supposedly being a rapist and uh, sexually assaulting fans and all of this completely terrible stuff. And my mom is a casual fan of the band. Uh, she doesn't uh, fangirl over the singer or any of the people in it, but she just loves the music. And we were talking about this, and she took a little bit of a misogynistic stance on it, uh, that she agreed with me and with most people that what he's done is completely terrible. But at the same time, she was victim blaming a little bit. And I basically said, Mom, you're a dickhead. <laughs> and she started agreeing with me uh, about this, that it isn't really the fault of the fans. But she has that sort of internal misogyny in her, definitely. And maybe mm -hmm. that influenced it a little bit. I don't remember any cases of my mom being like this when I was a kid, uh, because I probably wouldn't remember. But... Obviously, if somebody has misogynistic parents, uh, the child is going to grow up to be a misogynist. 
Mm. And if you yeah, that being said, my dad isn't misogynistic. He's actually a really lovely person. Okay. Hmm. Because the biggest is yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Tell me. Uh, yeah. Uh, the biggest issue with my dad was that he just wasn't around. When he was around, it was amazing. But uh, well, when my mom uh, had difficulties in her career, my dad was basically doing hundred percent of the work. So I can give him. Uh, I can forgive him for not being around when he had to work all of the family. Yeah. But it's a shame because I think if he had been more around, it would have been a counterbalance to all of the shit that was going on with my mom. Oh. So he he had to be away just to work to support the family? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because my, fam- my family was doing really well before my mom had the mental breakdown. But after that, of course, we started doing a lot worse because it was just one parent that was uh, mentally capable of having a job. Mm. And it is a big, um, a huge pressure, and traditionally that's fallen on guys to keep bringing the money in. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody and, doesn't starve or freeze. Yeah. I do have to respect my parents that they never told any of this to me or my sibling. We just later found out that the family was doing a lot worse during that time. Uh, but I do have to give a lot of respect to my dad for never complaining, never being abusive uh, to anyone. He wasn't abusive to my mom either. When you were younger, he was around a lot more. Is that right? And then when the financial crisis came, he had to disappear. Yeah. Mm. And honestly, I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad uh, when I was a teenager. We didn't really interact because he was never home. And when he was home, I was uh, very low on energy to talk to people. But when I became an adult, uh, my relationship with both of my parents went a lot better, but especially with my dad, because we are just doing so well with him. Okay, so it just it changed and grew into a different type of relationship. It, it sort of deepened, or yeah, what happened? Um, I started being open to my parents as well, and me telling all of the stuff about my mom. But I do have to tell the other side of the coin, which is that my mom's been amazingly supportive with my NPD and all of my issues and. She has, and my dad, they've both done so much. They never even knew about mental illnesses before they hit me. And they've been a really big part of my journey going forward. What, in what, how, do, how have they done that? They, they listen to you or what, they help you find the support or, or what have they done? They listen to me. My mom was really empathetic and really always there for me when I needed someone, uh, when I was going to serious depression and when I was suicidal and when I was facing a narcissistic collapse. And my dad was the same, but he also gave a sort of reasonable side to everything. He's a very logical person. And they helped me financially with therapy and all of my uh, doctoral bills. And they've just done so much that... I guess a parent doesn't have to do 
to an adult child, but they did it anyway. Wow. So your mum must have really recovered then to be able she to did. offer this support. Yeah. So how did she recover from such a, a, a low? I think it just took time. Uh, I know that for her losing her job and being in a situation where she wasn't maybe capable of working, uh, it completely destroyed her ego and her sort of self-esteem. And it took her years to develop it again and to become comfortable as a person. And when she did, she started being close to her old self again, I think. Did she access therapy or or did she get support that way? Or did she, you know, how did she get out of that hole? I wish she went to therapy, but she didn't. But I think she just got lucky and over time things went better because my mom is doing normally now. She's she's doing well. My dad is doing well. Um, And after all of this that I've talked about, I do have to say that I've forgiven my mom. Okay. Yeah, because and I don't is, think she was a horrible person. I just think that she did horrible things. And yeah. I think part of getting better is to, at least in my case, is to forgive the people that did harm. Yeah. Because I can't and, go forward if I hold a grudge. Okay. And probably that's to do with the way they've been towards you since you left home and you've had your own struggles that they've been able to um, attune to you, you know, to listen and to validate your feelings. Yeah, I think that it's helped a lot. Maybe if they continued being cold when I was an adult, I probably would have never went for them for support. But I remember when I was going through the worst times in COVID lockdown, I had just broken up from my girlfriend and I was really suicidal. I was really depressed. I I was very vulnerable. Uh, I had kind of lost all of the grandiosity that I previously held. I remember my mom was sending me like pictures of me being a baby and pictures of uh, from like over twenty years ago when when I was growing up and really just supporting me every day. And it was something she totally didn't have to do, but she did it. And mm-hmm. I think already at that time I started realizing that. This isn't the same abuser anymore. That she grew up, she changed. And even though my mom doesn't have NPD, most likely, I think that I can apply the same logic to myself. That even though I've been a terrible person, I've been an abuser, uh, I can change because she did. Yeah. And people well. can forgive me for the things I did as well, if they want to. That is true. Wow. That gives me a lot of hope because it says, you know, particularly because I'm a mum, that if you really fuck up, you can actually reverse the damage, you know, and repair the relationship and move to yeah. something good. Yeah. Cause that, yeah, of course, if mm. there's some deep trauma like with me, it never went away. I mean, I still, I'm still facing that fallout of what happened. But I do yeah. think that she made everything up and I don't hold a grudge. I'm not angry at my mom. Yeah. Wow. Have you told your parents your diagnosis? I have, yeah. I've been very transparent with them. And they've been totally fine? They've been fine. 
and they treat me the same way as they did before, mm. which at the moment is good. And yeah. I don't think that it severed my relationship with my parents. I think it made it better. Really? Like, and like I also want to say in the end about like change, because I talked so much about it that I'm not special in a way that maybe I got lucky with some things and I figured out things at a young age, but I don't think I'm special because I can change. I think it's possible for everyone. You're saying that because you've experienced a profound change. So you, you kind of feel certain because you've done it yourself <clears throat> and you've gone really far. Yeah. Mm. I think and there's I re- hope for everyone. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And what I'm hearing is that actually you have all the, you have the environment that makes it possible too. Yeah. Yeah, it just shows how impacted we are by what is around us, you know, what what spaces there are that, that others create that make things possible or make so, them impossible. Yeah, because I think the worst thing to do is, I talked about like people radicalizing and I don't think every young boy or young girl that gets radicalized has a personality disorder. Of course not. I think it's a lot of neurotypical people as well just are in a bad environment and uh, face something terrible and start doing something terrible as a result. But I do think that when you go to a loving, positive environment, it's basically impossible for you to go worse. Because I think if I, I didn't face love and support from my family or from my friends, and if I didn't have the hope that I can do things right in relationships as well, uh, and I'm definitely hopeful at the moment. I think last time when we talked, I had less hope, but I'm doing a lot better in terms of relationships as well now. But I think having all of that positive environment it really makes it possible to get better. Oh, that's awesome. And, yeah, I absolutely refuse to believe that there is no hope and that you can't change. I don't think life is worth living with that kind of belief. So, yeah. and That's exactly yeah. what I was facing when I started this, I think, by talking about uh, how I was really suicidal and really just had to decide that I either give up now or I'm going to change. Yeah. Uh, because if there was a chance of me changing, it was better than giving up. But if there's no hope for me, why should I even try to continue living? Yeah. Yeah, and hope is what keeps you going. Yeah. Mm. And although things don't always go how I want them to go, and I do still face a lot of negative things in my life, even when sometimes things go well, it's enough to kind of keep me going. Wow. Yeah, and I do love this because, you know, I have seen things saying NPD can't can't be treated or it's not curable, and particularly ASPD is untreatable, and I just love to hear the stories of people who are, in fact, grabbing this stuff and turning it around and proving that wrong. Yeah. Hmm. I know okay. I could never had the official diagnosis of ASPD because of what I thought about last time, how the ther- uh, how the psychologist kind of made things easy for me. And mm. I had to thank him for that. 
because I don't think I would even qualify for ASDD anymore. Yeah. And, yeah, so he didn't, he said he wouldn't diagnose you officially with, I think, either disorder because he felt it would just create difficulties and barriers for you accessing treatment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because the treatment does have a stigma in my country as well. Both of them or just the ASPD? Both of them. Uh, well, my country uses the ICD. I think it's still the 10th one. Uh, the 11th one, I think, is nearly finished. And the 11th one is going to be a lot better with uh, personality disorders and creating like different criteria. But the 10th one doesn't even have narcissistic personality disorder as an official diagnosis. Okay. I think it's just filed under other personality disorder. And that's basically what he diagnosed me with, but just not in official papers. But okay. yeah, treatment is really difficult if you have those in my country. Nearly impossible. Really? So it's just people will say, I can't deal with it. It's too hard. I don't know what I'm doing, so I won't take this person on. Yeah, even when I was looking for a therapist, some of them answered my email essentially saying, because I did explain about my narcissistic tendencies, but they basically told me to fuck off because they're not going to treat someone with these problems. Well, did they give a reason why? Uh, I think the reason was because they don't feel like they want to treat someone with my problems. So essentially, you're a narcissist, you can't be helped. We've got proof right here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's change that narrative. Oh, I certainly don't fit. Like, I, there's no way I'd be diagnosed with a personality disorder anymore. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That stuff can get fucked. Exactly. I don't want it. Yeah. I don't know yep. how useful the diagnosis even is at the end of the day. I think it's, it's a label. Uh, my therapist said that to me because I did ask him about it and he said he, he generally didn't like labels because he thought they were just used to, uh, what did he say? He thought they were used to devalue people. Yeah, and to box people in. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess to distance and, and to go, oh, they've got that. Yeah. Rather than, yeah, with him I felt he just went, here's a person. They feel this this way about this. They feel that way about that. And let's let's just treat that. That's yeah. all it was. There's, yeah. there's plenty of, of examples of people boxing other people in the categories and giving them labels and it leading to horrible things. So I hope that medicine in the future, when it comes to mental health, of course, with uh, physical health, it's very different. But I hope the mental health uh, kind of psychiatry gets to a level where we don't have to box people in to labels anymore. Mm. Because I can see how that's going to be more harm than good. And it, it certainly is at the moment, isn't it? Like if you mention narcissism, it's like, ah, there's all these assumptions and you're going to be, you know, a horrible person and yeah yeah it's very very narrow and really really takes away the inner side and the suffering and yeah and the human side of it so i'm very happy that i didn't get diagnosed officially yeah at the time i was actually disappointed that one fuck is this guy not <laughs> diagnosing me i want the label yeah. but i'm i think i'm smarter I now <laughs> 
That is funny because I remember getting mine and hating it, but that was, yeah, 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. For me, it would have given validation. That, yeah, yeah, I was I'm right really. all along. Yeah, I'm a narcissist. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. Well, Ruthless, thank you for that. And, yeah, I've really enjoyed talking to you. So did I. It was lovely talking to you. And I feel very happy after this discussion. It really mm. made me emotional and, and really did a lot of good things, I think.